Hello, and welcome to the Pathmic Psychiatry for Primary Care podcast. Hello, everyone. This is Whitney Landa. Thank you for joining us for today's podcast on Effexor and Pristique, or Venlafaxine and Desvenlafaxine. Sadly, this is my last episode of the Pathmig Psychiatry for Primary Care podcast. Again, sorry about the unwieldy name. But hopefully it will be a good final podcast on these two SNRIs, or serotonin norepinephrine reuptake inhibitors. I'm doing Effexor and Pristique together because Pristique is actually the downstream product after you take Effexor. So you might think, well, why would I ever prescribe Effexor then? Because if Pristique is the downstream product, it's better. But as with everything in psychiatry, that's not sure and we don't know why. For some people, Effexor is much better fit. For other people, it's Pristique. For other people, it's neither. And we don't know until we try. But just because one is a downstream product of the other doesn't actually mean anything about efficacy for people. Though I have found in my practice that if someone has a partial response to either Pristique or Effexor, it's a good idea to try the other one. As you may remember from our Cymbalta or Duloxetine podcast, SNRIs actually start out as S's. So at low doses, they're really only affecting the reuptake of serotonin. And it's only as the dose is increased that it starts to inhibit the reuptake of norepinephrine. And then once we get to very high doses of SNRIs, we also see dopamine reuptake inhibition or more dopamine transmission. But either way, more dopamine in the brain, but only at the higher doses. So low dose, really more like an SSRI. Only when we get into moderate to higher doses is it really an SNRI. And this is important because as you go up on the dose, the side effect profile starts to change and how people respond to the medicine starts to change. So for instance, with Effexor, once you hit 150, you are getting some norepinephrine reuptake inhibition. And so when you go, say, from what from a 75 milligram dose to 150 milligram dose, you're going to warn people that it is now a little bit more likely to give them those norepinephrine side effects, like increased energy, but also maybe some agitation or jitteriness, or trouble sleeping, or feeling more on edge or tense. And so less risk of that kind of early on, and more as you go into the higher doses. So I'm going to start this podcast really focused in on Effexor. Effexor is FDA approved for depression, generalized anxiety disorder, social anxiety, and panic disorder. It's also commonly used for PTSD, PMDD, anything you typically think of using an SSRI for, you can use Effexor for. Effexor also has data in ADHD. So if there's a lot of ADHD symptoms, or you suspect there is comorbid ADHD, Effexor is a great one to start with. I'll also tell patients that who probably do have ADHD, but they also have really severe depression and maybe some substance use, and there's a lot happening, and I don't necessarily feel comfortable giving them the diagnosis of ADHD or prescribing them a stimulant but I do want them to start treatment for their mood and work with me on the substance use. And then we can kind of get to the ADHD part. I'll say, you know, this really does have good evidence for having a moderate effect size in ADHD. So you can think of it as a medicine for two things. 
and both things would get better. And sometimes that's a little bit easier for people when they're initially starting and they're not as open to depression treatment, but they'd be more open to ADHD treatment. It's not something I would start in clear ADHD without comorbid depression and anxiety. It's not going to have a strong enough effect on ADHD that I'd want it to be sort of my primary mainstay medicine in a patient where really we're looking at ADHD and not comorbid mood or anxiety. It is something if more traditional ADHD medicines are just too strong that you could consider bringing in later. Though again, it would be way lower on my my list. Uh, it, I use that data more to convince people who I also think have potential mood benefit from it. As with all of our antidepressants, once you start it, you're going to give it some time to work. So I'm very cautious and I always start Effexor at 37.5 milligrams. Some people don't, they jump straight to 75, but I always like to do a small trial dose, even in adults, even if it's just for a few days or say a week, just to make sure that the medicine's tolerated. And then I would push them up to a 75 milligram dose and then give them that dose in an adult for four to six weeks before I'm going to evaluate how it works for anything. Even the ADHD effect we would start to see around the fourth week. So it's really safe to check in four to six weeks later for efficacy. In kids, if you're using Effexor, it goes back to the two to four weeks. With kids, you're going to be really cautious if you're using Effexor because it has a higher risk of that black box warning, those intrusive suicidal thoughts. Again, kids don't act on those thoughts, but they can get them and they're they're quite scary for people. But Effexor has been shown to have a higher risk. So... If you have a really good reason to use Effexor, consent, consent, consent for that black box warning, but follow them really closely. I've used Effexor in kids and teens, usually if there's a strong family history of people doing well in Effexor and we've tried some other things and they haven't worked, or there's always that one off, both parents are doing great on Effexor, and we talk through the risks benefits of trying Effexor versus something else, and usually families will choose Effexor. And I just make sure they know there's a little higher risk of that black box warning. It also isn't FDA approved in children and teens. And so that can make a lot of families cautious. It wouldn't be my first go-to for kids and teens without some really solid reasons. And if I am going to start it in a child or a teen, I'm going to start it at 37.5 milligrams and leave them at that dose for two to four weeks. We know the longer they stay at the starting dose, the less risk of that black box warning side effect. So I'm going to be really cautious with that dose increase. For a long time, people thought that Effexor was potentially more effective than other antidepressants, and especially when combined with Remeron or Mirtazapine. That combination together was dubbed California Rocket Fuel by Stephen Stahl and thought to be especially great for any sort of depression, but especially treatment-resistant depression. That has since been debunked. The Carlette Report has a fantastic podcast and article on it. So if you've heard of California Rocket Fuel and have been using Effexor specifically because of that and automatically combining it with Remeron, I'd encourage you not to do that. What they've shown is that when that combination works, it's usually actually from one or another of those agents. It's not actually from both of them, though it's hard to know if they were both started together but it is not recommended to automatically start those two together 
there isn't anything special about the combination, even though the mechanisms of action would lead us to feel like that would make a difference. Again, we have no idea what makes a difference in psychiatry. I wish we did. I can't wait for that day when you take a cheek swab and it tells you what medicine to prescribe. That is the dream for all of us psychiatrists, and I'm sure you guys too in primary care. This is such a hard process. Effexor is a good medicine, though. It can be very effective. I especially love it in sort of energic, low-energy depressions because it can be more activating. I always tell people to take it in the morning because it can cause insomnia. And it can make them feel jittery or give them a headache. It has a higher risk of sweating, especially night sweats, than a lot of medicines. And as always, can cause SIADH in the elderly. That's true of any of our antidepressants. One of the bigger risks with Effexor is it can raise blood pressure, and this is dose-dependent, which makes sense because the norepinephrine component is dose-dependent, and we think that's the primary mechanism. So as you raise the dose of Effexor, you're going to be more careful about watching people's blood pressures, and if they already have hypertension at baseline, even more so. Another nice thing about Effexor, though, is it has a low risk of weight gain. So if people are worried about that or they're already overweight, it can be a good one to start. One other thing about Effexor to know is it has a pretty nasty withdrawal syndrome for a lot of people. So if people have had bad SSRI withdrawal in the past or seem more sensitive to withdrawal, that's going to be something to think about when you start Effexor because it is going to be harder for them to come off. And remember, there's always exceptions to the rules. I've had people find effects are extremely sedating and take it at night. Again, we don't know why people have the different responses that they do, but at a population level, it's a little energizing. There are actually two forms of Effexor, an instant release and an extended release. The instant release is almost never prescribed anymore. It has such a short half-life that a lot of people need to take it three or even four times a day to not have withdrawal symptoms. So I rarely see that prescribed. And when I do see it, my first thing I always do is convert people over to the extended release dose. But if you're starting it, again, I start at 37.5, even in adults for a couple days, and then I go up to 75 and leave it for four to six weeks. Kids and teens leave it at 37.5 for four weeks before going up. And you can go up in either 37.5 increments or 75 milligram increments in adults. Kids and teens, I always go up by 37.5 milligram increments. And in adults, if they're sensitive to side effects or if I feel like we're almost there, like 150 is almost perfect, and I don't want to give them too much of that push into the norepinephrine reuptake inhibition, I'll see if I can get away with just adding the 37.5 milligrams. Max FDA dose of Effexor in adults is 225 milligrams a day. I commonly will take that up to 300 milligrams a day. And there is data on higher doses, but I usually stop at the 300 milligram dose myself. If someone does come to you on instant release Effexor, it's hard to just convert them straight over to extended release because of the withdrawal. I usually convert about half their dose over to extended release and then have them continue to take their instant release two or three times a day. And then we sort of slowly cross taper um, them from one form of effects or to the other. 
I've had people where for months they still have to take just a little bit of instant release of Hexer once or twice a day until we really get them on that higher dose of the extended release. As I said, it has a bad withdrawal, even in the extended release form. So it can be tricky. Don't forget your e-consults if you're converting from IR to XR. And if you're tapering someone off of either one, give them a very slow taper. I recently learned that when you compound extended release effexor into smaller doses, they're just opening up the capsule and counting out the little beads. And so a lot of my patients have told me it's so hard to get those compounded prescriptions processed and actually in their homes. They would rather just open it themselves and count out the beads and slowly decrease the number of beads they take. If you feel like that's a patient who can do that, it is a lot to be able to do that. But if they can successfully, I actually do that over compounding it. But a lot of people can't go from 37.5 to zero. They need to go off more slowly. I never convert them to instant release because that has such a bad withdrawal. I just have them go down further using the little beads or a compounded version so that they can go down as low as one milligram of Effexor. They can't crush it. That turns it into instant release. One of the reasons why it is actually quite difficult to open it up and get those little beads out. Another reason to be cautious about Effexor is it is more toxic in overdose. So if you have a very suicidal patient, just something to be aware of is that they are more likely to die if they overdose on Effexor versus many other newer antidepressants. The risk is still lower than the older tricyclic antidepressants for the most part. Now I'm going to switch our focus to Pristique or Desphenlethaxine, which, as I said, is a downstream product of Effexor. One kind of pure pharmacokinetic reason to choose Pristique over Effexor is that it's downstream enough that there's no CYP2D6 involvement. We know a lot of drugs are metabolized through that. So if there's an interaction with Effexor, but it works fairly well or works well, and they need to start this other new medicine, or there's an interaction, sometimes switching them to Pristique can work. Uh, Pristique is FDA approved for MDD only, but again, you can use it for anything you'd use Effexor for. And if you look up Pristique in terms of its side effect profile, you know, its warnings, they actually use effexors. And we'll say, you know, this is based on venlafaxine or effexors data for the most part. So if you look it up, it'll say the exact same thing. In practice, it's pretty similar. Uh, the only thing I've noticed is that Pristique is more likely to be sedating by a large degree. And so I will usually tell people to start Pristique at night and to expect it to be sedating. And it would be the exception to the rule that it's a little more activating or energizing. So Pristique is also more potent at the serotonin transporter than Effexor, but it also has a greater inhibition of norepinephrine relative to serotonin. So if we're looking at the ratios of SN, there's more N for every S than with Effexor. It's still going to be serotonin only at low doses, um, and it is going to be a little bit more potent at those receptors. So you'll notice that Doses for Pristique tend to run a little bit lower. The starting dose for adults is 50 milligrams. 
I will usually start 25 milligrams in teens, though it is not FDA approved in teens. And then I usually will go up by 50 milligram increments. There is data all the way up to 600 milligrams of Pristique. I myself have never gone past 300 milligrams, and most patients I have are on lower doses than that. You might see data that there is no difference at a population level between 50 milligrams of Pristique and 300 milligrams of Pristique. At a population level, that may be true, but we have that data for lots and lots of medicines, and we ignore it because we know that this person in front of us, our patient isn't, you know, the population, and they might respond to a higher dose. So if you get a partial response at 50, I really encourage you to increase that dose. Pristique is another great medicine that can be very effective. And it's with a heavy heart that I conclude this podcast since it's my last, and I will miss working with everyone here at PAMF and PAFMIG. I hope everyone has a great day and lovely holidays.